All right, so hey, just so you guys know today, we have four people that have come through our baptism protocol, sort of, and so we're going to baptize four people here at the end of service. We're excited about that, but first we're going to go to God's Word. We're going to head into 2 Timothy today, chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there or go into your electronic devices and follow us or look at the screen today. But we're going to jump right into this. We're going to get our eyes on Scripture, starting here in verse 8 in first, or 2 Timothy 1. This is the Apostle Paul talking to a guy named Timothy who is a disciple of Jesus, but somebody that, that Paul discipled in his early days. This is Paul saying, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which we, he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which what he has been entrusted to me. For the, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so by the time that, that Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy, Young Timothy would be in a, a pastor in Ephesus for more than four years. It's been more than four years since his first letter arrived, First Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor who has been with Paul for much of his early life. He left home with Paul more than a decade prior to this letter to journey with Paul on his second and third missionary journeys around the Mediterranean area. If you have a Bible that has maps in it, you can just turn to that Bible. There's a bunch of missionary journeys of Paul. Know that Timothy was on his second and third missionary trip. He would have gone through areas like Troas and, and Philippi and Corinth. He would have been very familiar with this area of Ephesus. Him and Paul stayed there on his third missionary journal for, journey for three years. And now we have Timothy coming back into Ephesus and establishing the church in Ephesus. And this is year four of that. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy to provide him encouragement, but also to compel fortitude in him for the difficulties and trials that are surely going to be coming his way. Paul wrote this letter in prison just prior to his beheading that occurred somewhere in June or July of AD 67. It was ordered by the emperor king Nero. Nero uh, is a fabulous historical study, uh, if you have time for that. But, but this letter serves as a state of the church document at the time. Paul, writing here, clues us into what's happening in the local church in this area in this time. And Paul is using this letter to encourage Timothy because Paul knows that he's going to die. Two chapters later in 2 Timothy, Paul says that I am being poured out like a drink offering. My time here is near an end. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knows that his days are limited. But not only that, Paul would have heard of the massive persecution that is going on within the church. In this time, Nero has tons of holes in his leadership, tons of issues within the kingdom of of Rome, and he has placed on Christians that responsibility instead of taking it on himself. And so what we see in this time is what's called the first persecution of the church. And scores of Christians will be tortured and killed. Leaders like Barnabas, Ananias, and Peter are swept up and killed, murdered, martyred in this time frame. And so Paul is warning his young student that the world is ready to set hatred upon him. And so Paul beautifully directs Timothy to set his gaze up onto something greater, calling him not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, nor of Paul himself, but be willing to share in the upcoming and unavoidable sufferings of those who profess Christ. It is if Paul is compelling him in a season of preparation, that what is going to get you through this next season is not your effort. It's not going to be your work, Timothy. It's not going to be what you've done for the Lord or what you plan to do for the world, yourself, or God. You will only persevere through an unwavering belief and commitment to the hope and the strength of the gospel of Christ. An unwavering belief in him who loved us, him who uses us according to his own purposes, that you, Timothy, need to remember and hold fast to the one that saved you, that defeated death, that restored our peace, that gave us life and hope in Jesus Christ. And it is in light of all of those things that Paul describes that Jesus did for us that he says these words, I will suffer. I will suffer. I will endure in this calling to be a teacher, an apostle. And what Paul says next both comforts, encourages, inspires, but challenges me to my core. And maybe it will for you. He says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he will guard until the day what he's entrusted in me. And then he presses into young Timothy to follow the patterns of sound teaching, of sound words that were given to him in faith and love in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is in layman's terms saying to Timothy, look man, I'm at peace here. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. I am unfazed because I know who I've believed in. Please share that same belief and same hope with me. And so what Paul is doing is he's picking up on this undeniable truth that is true of all of you in this room true of all of us in the room. The course, the direction, and the quality of your life is predicated by what you believe in life. It is determined by what you believe and know. Paul says, I can suffer, for I know whom I have believed. Think about this. I mean, you're in this room today because you have a belief that you like this church. You have a belief that this is what God wants us to do. You have a belief maybe that you like to hear me gab. Your belief creates a commitment. It creates a direction. My Ellie, who is two, every time we drive north and see the two car washes before Walmart, 
always yells out car wash. And then she says, scared, and covers her little ears. She's afraid that that car wash, although she's been there no less than a handful of times, is going to hurt, harm, or frighten her in some way. But my other daughter, Camille, who's five, sees those car washes and says, Daddy, can we go through the car wash today? Because she believes that she's safe and secure and enjoys the process of going through a car wash. And so two different girls, two different beliefs, two different realities. And what Paul has chosen to rest and believe in in partnership with the Holy Spirit of God, has manifested a steadfastness and joy that even the most difficult struggles of his life cannot rob. And so what I think is important for us to consider today thoroughly is what do you really believe at the end of the day, at the end of the day is true about God? What do you believe to be true? Would you write this? Even though I suffer... I am not ashamed, for I know what I believed. And so today we want to elevate Paul, not as a human that we celebrate in his example of perseverance, but rather that we would elevate what lies behind Paul's belief and commitment, that we would elevate Christ. And so can I be as simple as saying, you know, what does it mean to believe? What do you think it means to believe? When Paul writes this sentence, for I know whom I believed in, or believed, he is using the Greek word pistuo. That's what's translated into our English language as believe. And that word bids this idea of a conviction and a belief that is so deep, it is as if it were impaled into somebody's being. It is a deep conviction that promotes us to live life by a different persuasion. It contends an absolute trust in Jesus as able to aid in either obtaining, doing, or providing the, the substances and the sources of my vitality, my strength, and my sufficiency. And it is belief that creates lenses in our life that we say yes to certain things, certain realities, certain beliefs, certain thoughts, and say no to others or reject others that I filter what I have comes at me in life, that I filter what comes at me at lie, in life by what I believe, and that will directly, directly speak to what I'm willing to endure and commit to. And then Paul writes, follow the patterns of sound teaching, which means hold fast to, which implies this something is trying to take it from us. Be faithful in holding on to it, nourishing it, defending it. For those of you in this room who have been called to marriage, like understand this, your belief of your spouse and what you believe about them and what you believe about the institution of a marriage as a whole will directly influence what you're willing to endure in that relationship and what you will say yes or no to. And I'm not trying to oversimplify marriage because there's lots of complexity there. But listen, what you believe about yourself will directly impact what you're willing to endure as a person. 
and what you will make as boundaries in your life that you will say yes or no to. And as a Christian, what you believe about Jesus will directly reflect what you're willing to endure and say yes and no to in your relationship. All of that to say that your active commitment your commitment, what you're willing to persevere through is founded in what you believe and what you hold fast to. And listen, if you're wishy-washy on what you believe in, you, be, you will be wishy-washy in what you will endure and commit to. And so, friend, can I challenge you again? Who do you believe God to be in your life? Because what you believe there impacts every aspect of your life. Because, listen, this is vitally important. Because as culture, a culture that we love and we care for, a culture that Christ loves and cares for, but as that culture progressively moves towards secularism and humanism, where the lines of religion and Jesus and self-help have all but been blurred, where we see Christian denominations and major church movements abandoning basic biblical foundational truth that speaks towards flourishing and God's glory as they surrender them to man's opinions, as they surrender them to best-selling books, as they surrender them to spiritual healing, miracle-driven conferences and superficial talk show hosts and celebrities as we surrender them to environments and emotions, we have a challenge. Look, all of those things, are they evil? No. Is there goodness to be found in them? Yes. But listen to me, none of them will last. None of them will last. None of them. We have to hold true to what is right Good, faithful, effective forever. Following the pattern of sound teaching and word. Our people for centuries have defended the ancient scriptures, have defended right knowledge about God, have fought, fought for scriptural integrity interpretation to be clear and accurate. And they have defined specifically what they believe. You know, some 150 years after Christ died on the cross, the church got together and wrote down the basic tenets of what they believe, and they called them creeds. And they would recite those creeds in their churches on a weekly basis, but not only on a weekly basis, on a daily basis within their church homes. The oldest of all of those creeds is called the Apostles' Creed, and it was written in some form around 180 A.D., and if we would look at the Apostle Creed today, it would be seen or read like this. This is what our people have been saying about belief in God for thousands of years. These are the words that our, our brothers and sisters spoke in 200 AD. And they said this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he was rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, which means universal church. 
the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin, and the resurrection of the body, and everlasting life. Amen. Make no mistake, this is part of a forgetful people, humanity, creating avenues and devices that would remind them what they exactly believe, weakly reminding themselves of who God is and who they were. And so when tragedy and struggle would come in their lives, they would chant these things. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe the creator of heaven and earth in Jesus Christ, the Holy Son. They would say these things over and over to them as an anchor to hold them in times of despair. Come November, we're going to take six or seven weeks and just walk through this beautiful creed to try to understand what it means. And so guys, I ask you, when the winds and the waves of life come, when those storms come, what do you run to? What do you believe? What do you pray? What produces endurance in you? Because here's my, my concern. In every survey that's ever been taken in this culture, in this day, the vast majority of people identify themselves as Christians. It's like 75%. But yet of those same people, what we have found that a fraction, no more than 18% of those people surveyed would say that the Bible in some way is a part of their everyday routine. And so what that compels to me is that people are believing in God based upon somebody else's words about God, an emotional decision or environment that was never grounded in the Word of God through a mentor or through a feeling like belonging or fear. But listen, when the crap of life hits the proverbial fan, none of those things prove to be dependable. None of those things prove to be adequate or sufficient in belief. And time and time again, we see in the struggle of life that oversimplified cliche that your cool Christian leader gave to you or that feeling that you had in some event does not hold water when you hear the word cancer or she's dead. Paul is saying that my life, my hope, and my future is not predicated on what my opinion is, what I see, what I feel, what I do, it is bound and secure from him who I have believed. And I am convinced that he will guard and shepherd me. Him who saved me, him who called me for his uses and his purposes, I believe that what he has already done for me, Christ, will prove to be sufficient for me in this moment on this day. Paul is so thoroughly convinced in his belief that literally death has no power over him sways him none. No concern for his own well-being or his suffering, only for the glory of God. And so, friends, I ask you today, who do you believe God to be in your life? Because if we are not consistently reminding ourselves daily, we will forget. We are a forgetful people if we are not reminding ourselves of who saved us, who loved us, who turned wrath away from us and gave us grace if we're not 
consistently in awe of his name and his love and his kindness towards us, if we aren't reminded of who we are and how big that he is, if our emotion never becomes deep, abiding devotion, your faith, your belief will always fall on the rocky, shallow soils of the human heart and never take root. Because listen, nobody promised in Scripture or in our heritage, our heritage, that this would be easy. Somebody may have told you that, and that's a lie. This was always going to be hard. Christianity is not the gold brick road to Oz. You and I in this room know that it's a journey of potholes and detours. It's hard. And what makes it so complicated is there's so many false representations and misinformed beliefs about this ancient faith. People that claim that Jesus wants you happy, healthy, and wealthy. And if you're not, then it's your fault. People that say, hey, just follow these three simple steps or just live by this cliche, this oversimplified cliche, and you'll have victory in your life. But listen, following Jesus isn't the club for the happy and the untroubled. It is a fraternity of the broken. It is a fraternity of the broken who see their desperate need for something other than themselves, who cry out for something other than my own pride, my own wisdom. I need Christ. And they want nothing more than the God of the Bible. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians as a reminder to us. He says to you and I in his letter to the Corinthian church that we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Look, there is a measure of death that reigns in all of us. Paul says that we are carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that life might be manifest, which means this, it was always going to be about your weakness. It was always going to be about you dying to self. It was always going to be about your suffering and your struggling. That is where life is going to be found. Who told you that this faith was going to be easy? Who made you believe that Jesus wasn't familiar with suffering? Jesus says, count the cost. Because following me might cost you everything. And so sometimes we think that if somebody's really spiritual, or somebody's really being used by God, that they live in this constant state of victory, where life just remains easy. And so understand what Paul wrote here not only tells us that God's servants, those who follow him, may experience death-like suffering, but that God himself will use them for his good and glorious purposes. He has a good and glorious purpose for allowing it. Do you believe that? Does your faith account for that? Do you believe that your suffering will be rewarded someday? Because listen, Jesus is not some masochist tyrant that lives on high, that loves to see his people in pain. He just knows that in this broken world, it's going to take pain to get you there. 
Like it's going to take pain and struggle for his people to get somewhere. Do you believe that? Paul writes this in Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Christian, you should expect that your weakness, your suffering will be paid off. You will reap more than you give. I ask you again, do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Because listen, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul is crushed in AD 67. Nero, in all of his massive holes and debauchery and poor leadership and destruction, blaming Christians, wants to destroy the Christian church. And so he crushes their leaders. But do you know this? The church was not extinguished. It exploded. He only served to fan the flames of building God's church. God uses this man Paul's suffering and those who are with him in our, in this time, our beloved brothers and sisters to show the beauty of a faith and a hope that persists in the face of evil, of injustice, of pain, of hate, of cruelty. And the world took note and it exploded. Friend, does your belief account for a God who is familiar with suffering? and that of his people. But not only that, works to restore all that was lost. Because listen, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it to his good. What the enemy meant in crushing the Christian church in AD 67, what did God do? No. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, And after you suffer a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so friends, I ask you today, what do you believe? What are you reminding yourself of? It will alter the course and the direction of your life. Are you reminding yourself of the God of the Bible? Because listen, you're going to forget would you pray with me that God would increase your affections in life? That all you love more than anything on this world is Jesus. That he would be the supreme belief of my sufficiency, of my vitality, and my hope on earth. Would you make that your prayer? Because this is never going to be easy. And it was always meant to be that way. And he is well versed with suffering. And he will use it for his good. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we know that there are difficult circumstances in our life and our aim here is not to minimize those things, Lord. They're real, they're painful. But Lord, that we would want to be called up towards something higher than ourselves in those. That we would get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you. That we would pray through your spirit that you would be what we devote ourselves to fully. That you would compel a belief that creates steadfastness, perseverance in this journey of life. That your spirit would comfort and guide and direct us so, Lord, just challenge us, convict us 
to remember you, remember what we believe in, like our ancient brothers and sisters who recited those chants, those creeds, in times of trouble, Lord, that you would give us focus on what we specifically believe, that we would endure for your glory and our joy. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Always we enter a time of prayer and worship here, and so if you're here today, and, and look, if life is here, and it's rough, and you're in that pothole, We'd love to pray over you and care for you. Maybe it's somebody else in your family or a friend of yours. We'd love to come around you and pray for them as well. Just know that we're here for you right now or even after service in our prayer room. So let's stand, sing, worship our King one last time. God has been a part of my life ever since I was very little. Uh, I grew up going to church uh, until I was around 11. And we stopped for a little bit and a friend invited me to come here when I was about 16 and going into my senior year of high school I became severely anorexic and I pushed away a lot of people in my life because everyone is of course like, trying to help me but I don't I didn't see it at the time that what they were doing all the things that made me angry to push everyone away was them actually trying to save me and it wasn't until I realized how much I was hurting everyone else. I put myself through a lot. I put my body through a lot and mentally just not in a good place and it ran away from me. And when I started to see how much I was hurting everyone else, I started to climb out of the hole I was in. And for the longest time, I didn't see how God could use this in my life. I wasn't thinking, oh, this could be used for something. I was just ashamed. Um, when I started to get involved in youth ministry here at church, I started telling kids like, hey, this is what I went through. And I started to see how God was using that to help me connect with kids and to connect with other people. Because the more I think we talk about the struggles we have gone through, God uses that to connect us with other people. And I know now that what I went through in my struggles God's using it as I've gone on mission trips this past year. I shared it at a church we went to and the response I got from people was something I wasn't used to. They came up and just like thanked me for sharing that I have struggled too because so often we put on this facade that we've everything's okay, nothing's nothing happens. Um, but we all have struggles. So sharing that with each other, letting each other know it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be, not to have everything have gone perfectly. And to me, Jesus is my savior. He broke down the walls I had built up. Um, with my bottle of anorexia, I put up a lot of walls around me and holding that in, um, he helped break down the walls to let it out. And Jesus, I think he does that with so many of us. He lets us know like, it's okay. And he's always gonna be there for me. Even if I fall and stumble, he's gonna kneel beside me and say, hey, it's okay. But I know he won't leave me there. Even if I have doubts and anxiety, um, which I have, struggled with. I know he's always there with me. He's not going to leave me there on my knees. He's going to always pull me up and help me along the way.
I think I should get baptized to I guess not not let the fear control me of stepping out there and being vocal about it. I've always been shy, not wanting to say, to speak out about my faith, and this is the loudest way I could think to speak out that I do believe in God and I know He saved me. And now I can't wait to go and take my story and take what He's given me and serve more. And I know that's what He's called me to do, is to serve and not just within the walls of this church, but wherever He wants to send me. So Shana, do, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that He died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Then based on your testimony today, we are going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's uh, we'll turn the house lights on and we'll just uh, we'll just pray over Shauna here and we'll dismiss from here. Okay, would you pray with me? Surround her with your prayers, Father. We just come before you. And we think that we, you, that we get to celebrate uh, the fact that you are redeeming hearts today. And God, that you're still alive and active in our, our world. And so we just thank you for Shauna. We just pray protection over her. That we know that the enemy does, uh, wants nothing more than to kill and destroy um, the, the momentum she has in her life, the belief that she has in her life. So let us as the church come around her like Paul did with Timothy and encourage her and help her, fortify her. And so, God, we just praise you as a God that, uh, that heals, a God that uh, restores, and it's evident and present today in this testimony. And so, Jesus, we just love you and praise you, and we pray this in your awesome name. Amen. I was raised um, in a church, good morals, good integrity, wonderful parents and family, um, and really first gave my life to Christ when I was in fifth grade at church camp. Um, and, uh, from that point on, I was very, it was kind of, kind of roller coastery, um, where I was, um, close to God and then really just went backwards and, you know, I can I'd do it myself and I don't need any help. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> so, um, you know, I always think that I can do it better. Um, went through um, quite a bit of stuff, you know, through college and, um, you know, out of college, I, you know, I partied too much and um, went through some depression and suicidal stuff. And um, so when I say I wouldn't be alive, that's very true. Then God has just always, always, always been there. He's pulled me out of the deepest, darkest areas and has provided for us always. Um, you know, we made sacrifices, um, but there was always so much love. And in the past nine months, things have just completely turned around as far as our 
marriage. I mean, we still have, you know, our fights, of course, you know, um, but the love that we have for one another is not like we did. It is much deeper and it's much more forgiving and fun. Um, and he has stepped into the role of being Karina's dad. Um, like, I don't know, it's been perfect. I've felt called for a long time to be baptized. Um, and I kept putting it off and, you know, it's like, no, you know, it didn't feel like the right time. And it just for a little while now, I just felt like God said, it's time. It's time for you to just give it all to me. And, you know, we'll do this together. Christ to me is my provider and he's my friend and he is one that has never left me no matter how many times I've left him um, as I said before has always provided has always forgiven me I've done so many things in my life that just sometimes in my eyes shouldn't be forgiven so for him to look at me and to choose me as his daughter to be forgiven and to say it's okay is remarkable it's it's life he's life because i i honestly and with all my heart wouldn't would not be here if it wasn't for Christ saving me. <laughs> Megan, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Based on your testimony today, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus to me is that he died on the cross for my sins and forgave me for my sins. So I believe that he has it in his hands and that I can move forward and that he'll forgive me for it. Baptism means you're showing your love for God to other people and that he died on the cross for other people and for everybody and that he died on the cross for our sins and that he will be there to help you through hard times. Karina, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes. Karina, based on your testimony today, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
over the last, I would say, year, it's been a really um, transformation in my life. Um, I was not following Jesus in a lot of ways, not walking the right path that I should, and um, came to a crossroads in my life that um, I had higher priorities beyond my faith I, uh, with money and um, material things and uh, finally you know I wasn't able to look myself in the mirror anymore and didn't like the man that I'd become and uh, I felt God tugging on me for a long time and kept turning away kept turning away kept turning away and then finally I you know accepted Jesus into my heart and um, and then started walking on the path and I mean it's been a you know it's not been a perfect you know path but I'm you know every day has got its own challenges but definitely you know, trying to move forward and you know follow Christ and be as you know like Christ as I can in the things that I do and the people that I you know come in contact with I have joy now I don't I didn't have joy I had maybe a fleeting moments of happiness but the happiness was found in, you know, not in my faith and not knowing Jesus Christ and not knowing, uh, you know, I did not have true joy. Like now I've, I've got joy a lot and a lot more than I ever did. Uh, I'm happier through that joy, not just, you know, a fleeting like, you know, this little thing makes me happy and, you know, then it, that thing is gone and, you know, then the, the feeling is gone. So um, I, I feel more secure. I feel um, just overall a more sense of you know goodness in my life that I didn't have you know a year ago um, Jesus is my savior he's um, he paid the ultimate price for my sins for everyone's sins um, for my mistakes he's you know he's washed me clean of that I mean I can you know ask for forgiveness and and know that he loves me and know that he's you know, know he's my father and there's a place for me in, in heaven and uh, I mean it's a a tremendous feeling to have in your heart, knowing that you know you're, you know, you've, you've got God in your life, whereas I, I didn't have before, and I mean, there's not much, not much better feeling than that. Um, baptism to me is a, a showing of you know a public display of my faith to Christ, and um, I have no. I mean, I guess I would, I want everyone to know that, you know, I, I do love Jesus and follow Christ and um, this is a way to publicly display that love towards Jesus and towards God. Chad, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes. Based upon your testimony, Chad, I now baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. My story started a little over nine months ago um, when I lost my wife unexpectedly to a brain tumor. Um, and as I was going through the grief, early grief, uh, one night, having a really tough night and saying a lot of prayers, and I had a dream 
And from that dream, um, I know Stacy's okay. She's with the Lord. And uh, it's one of those experiences, like, it's hard to explain, but one of those almost out-of-body experiences. And I knew after that night, having that dream, that, you know, I, I became a believer in, in the Lord. And I don't know how to say it, but it, it, the, the Lord is deeper, has been deeper in my life as, as I've gone forward. Uh, I've been with people, you know, tell me, I say, have stories with, talk to them, or they want to know my story. And, you know, the other people I don't even know, they come up and talk to me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's changed me. I, my faith is, you know, continues to get deeper and stronger. I, you know, came to, to a church and uh, took a class and growing my faith. And uh, that was a big impact on me, um, you know, through that period. And I, you know, the Lord has, has worked on me, in me, in mysterious ways, or, or different kind of ways, uh, having conversations with people I don't know who want to hear the story, my story, um, talking about things I normally wouldn't talk about um, from the, you know, from the past. And uh, I, it's, you know, I picked up the Bible, started reading the Bible, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been impactful. I'm here. I'm here today to give myself, you know, to the Lord as I move forward in life, and uh, uh, you know, it's my commitment to the Lord to uh, you know live differently as I move forward in this journey of life. So, Marty, do you believe that? Jesus is God's one and only son? Yes. And you believe that he died on the cross in payment for your sin? Yes. And that he rose from the dead, and through that you now have his life in you? Yes. Based on that testimony, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. house lights on and we'll have all of our baptism people come back out here and uh, we'll just take a moment. Would you pray with me over these people? Just stay in your seats, but let's just pray over them as they um, begin a journey that's probably already started for a lot of them, but, but now it's out in the open. So, Father, we just come before you and uh, we know that baptism is, is just a part of our journey and it's a journey that, that begins with us recognizing that you are our Savior, uh, that you died on the cross for us. And it's not just personal, Lord. This is about being in your family. It's, it's for us who sit in these seats to know that this is my brother, this is my sister, that I can encourage and, and help them and carry their burdens. And so, God, I pray over these people just a, a blessing and protection that you would keep the enemy from robbing the joy, robbing uh, the movement in their life towards you, that you would bring around them people who care earnestly for them and their walks with Christ. And we just praise you today as a God that is still alive and active in the hearts of men and women on this earth 
and that you are still redeeming people today. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.